Well, as we uh, begin really this four-week series called Above the Fray, and this will be a foundational week, we'll look at three topics in the coming weeks. Uh, I want us just to consider how divided we are as a people today. And there, in some sense, we've always been divided over different things. There are areas that people choose and disagreement. We're always faced with uh, kind of two options. For example, Coke and Pepsi. Just shout it out. Are you Coke or Pepsi? Which one is it? That was good. I had Coke, Pepsi, guy at Coke. It was great. I loved it. It's interesting. In my home, we were definitely a Coke family. In fact, my dad made it an art, Coke and chips. I think he built his world and life around it, and I tried to follow suit. Uh, in fact, I didn't even, wasn't even aware of much about Pepsi until I would begin uh, to go places with other people. And I find that's funny even today. If you're out to lunch or dinner, oftentimes what people ask is, what kind of soda do you have? Or what kind of pop, since we're in the Midwest? And uh, you, you can watch the face, like, oh, it's Coke product, oh. Or if there's Coke drink, it's Pepsi product, oh. Or it's homemade, it's some kind of local Michigan thing, and then both the groups go, oh. <laughs> I'm not young, I don't really care. It's just interesting how little things like this can become dividers, can't they? And then there's those, those issues that we often have in our own state. Which are you, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll be having a meeting later to talk about this. I, I have friends, you know, I, I'm, I grew up as a Michigan fan. My parents both graduated from there. And even though I lived uh, near East Lansing, uh, I never switched loyalties. But I have people that like to uh, point that out and mock me for it. So I had uh, somebody help me with some things in our yard at one point in time and had to have a cover built over a sump pump. And when I came back, the cover was there. He'd left me a text. But the cover of the cover was the Spartan logo. To this day, it is still in my yard. And I have one actually in a, a little part of my office that someone put a pennant there, a Spartan one. It doesn't shine as boldly as my Michigan one. But we clearly have differences, and they can actually come to pretty hostile differences. I, I do remember, I've done, I had the opportunity to, to do a lot of weddings, and one of the brides gave her husband a flag that said house divided, and it had these two symbols on it. But her commitment in the wedding was, this will be the only thing we're divided over. Kind of cool, huh? Still hoping she changes, but it was kind of cool. But here it is today. This is where I think we're most divided right now. It's what you asked for. It's what we've been living through is this kind of blue and red Democrat and Republican, conservative and liberal. And it plays out, we know, in lots of arenas, doesn't it? Even my putting it up, some of you might be sweating already. Like, what was he thinking? Why is he going to do this? And I wasn't. But you asked for it. I mean, it's, it's been interesting for me to watch and discover. I've had people, you know, I've watched people get upset. And it's not just a politic. I mean, it's masks and no masks, vaccine and no vaccine, mandates and freedoms, and all sorts of issues that ensue from that. And accusations to one another about how your view is you know, what we're Kool-Aid we're drinking or smoking or selling, all that stuff. It's been difficult. In fact, I was considering just the people I'm in relationship with and how many people have come to me in difficulty and brokenness. I've had parents come to me with, with broken relationships with their adult children because of a different view of life and social issues and politics that's at times broken their relationships. I've seen spouses who don't want to even be together or vacation together, and they have to get to a place where they just don't talk about it because they don't know how to talk about it, and they're so divided and difficult. We've seen that throughout relationships in the church and in our communities. 
It's interesting to me to talk to people that are unchurched because they're often asking, what's going on with you people? Because they look from the outside and don't understand it. And, and I can tell you, this has been significant to me on a personal level. You know, I, I, uh, I, I'm connected to a fair amount of different pastors, and I can't tell you, every week I get a series of group emails or texts from people in ministry that are disheartened with the pain they're going through from the hostility and broken relationships they're feeling in the life of the church. I've watched it in our own church. I've had friends and colleagues who've been assaulted and accosted because they don't share the view someone else does and people are angry about it and then they extrapolate to something more severe. My own kids have been vilified. I've had people tell me to my face they love me and they love what we teach and then behind my back tell people they wish the church weren't here anymore. I mean, it's been difficult to walk through this. Let's be honest. So in a sense, even jumping in today is like, which landmine am I going to hit which week? Because today we're simply trying to build a foundation to look at some things. But over the next three weeks, we're going to look very specifically at kind of the life of birth, the unborn, what we talk about and how we polarize over that. And then in the middle week, we're going to look at the middle of life and the issues of race and poverty. And then in the final week, we're going to look at the end of life, which isn't as polarizing, but I think is significant for us. We're kind of looking at a life ethic. But today, we simply want to build a foundation. What can we anchor to? What matters in this? And I want to tell you, like our whole staff, our board have been praying because while every series is its own, we know this one's charged. And so one of my prayers is I just won't be misunderstood and there won't be confusion or difficulty. And always you're welcome to ask me if there is. But, but I want to kind of as we get into this tell you I had this great encouragement during the week alongside of knowing all the prayer that was going into this series uniquely. Like we spent a lot of time just praying, God, help us, help us to be your people. But I was renewed and reminded, and all I can tell you is it felt, I, I perceived God leading me to this. And it was a, a simple prayer that Jesus prayed, really the night he's about to be betrayed, when he's about to go and end up being crucified, and then he'll die and rise. And what we get is a window into his words as God the Son to God the Father. And I found great help and hope in them. And so I want us to begin here before we talk about anything and build the overall foundation is looking at Jesus' heart. This is his prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He'd been praying before for the disciples that were with him. He says, my prayer is for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, all of us who now follow Christ. He's praying for the future church. I pray that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now this to me is so powerful, partly and just in the beginning because in the midst of all this division and divisiveness, what's the prayer of Jesus? He that will be one. That's his prayer over all of history. That's what he's prayed for us. And he's telling us not only is it for us, it's because when we can live in oneness, which let's be honest, you realize none, nobody can live in oneness perfectly, right? Like we can't even live it often in our own homes, let alone in a community. He's saying that when this happens, the world sees it differently. Not because we push and we try, but because God's doing something in fact, he's saying it's the Father's love in Jesus that needs to be in us. It's a work of God to bring this about. And that was great help to me because, let's be honest, if we look at where things are today, isn't there a lot to be disheartened over? I mean, there's a lot of us that would go, if these people would just think the way I do, we're in a, we're in a crossroads. I hear a lot of this, we should be so fearful and worried. And, th and then we're told that we're sheeple if we don't fight and do this, which, by the way, this is just fascinating to me. It goes to the prayer. Do you know what Jesus called us, don't you? 
sheep. So when someone says you're being a sheep, I'm like, you're welcome. That's exactly right. Don't act like I'm some great, ingenious individual that's gonna figure this out. I need Jesus. And you need Jesus. And we need Jesus. And it's been interesting to me because it sounds like a great message. And I don't, I'm not, it is true. But that's also often been code for don't preach anything but Jesus, meaning don't talk about issues I don't agree with. You still should talk about the issues I agree with. That's still Jesus. But the other ones aren't. In other words, yeah, I'm telling you Jesus, but pick a team. Pick a team, either be red or blue. And most likely in our area, let's be honest, it's going to be blue now, or red, I mean, blue, good job. Uh, but I would say with our kids' generation, that's shifting. And now we're even in a battle over, they're mimicking what we did in a different direction. But, but I want to tell you, one of my realizations in all this and how difficult it's been to talk about is just the fact that I don't think we've realized my role. And so I want to be really clear. I am not here to play for a team. I am here to call fouls and penalties and get you going in the right direction. And make no mistake, when you're for a team, you don't even like instant replay. You only want it to be for your team, even if you see it happening, that didn't happen. I'm here to say, yes, it did. And so today, we begin with the simple prayer of Jesus. He's praying that we'll be one, and I'm, I want us to be great encouraged with that. But I also need to call out a couple of fouls, because I think the church not calling them out is just killing us. And so today, I want to give you two in particular that I want to throw the flag on. And then what I'm going to do is give us three ways I want us to consider these different issues we're going to look at in the next three weeks that I think align with who Jesus is, how he is, and how we can love each other in them. Because I'm not getting to a place where I think we'll all agree about them, but we can live differently through them. So let me just, can I call the fouls? Are you ready to have them called? You're excited about this? You can't wait. Good. Good. So there are two fouls. There are fouls of power and divisiveness, power and division. Those are what they are. And I'm going to go through each of them in specificity and what I mean. And when I say there's a foul related to power, I, I just mean it this way. Many of us have gotten to a place where we believe that our hope comes through our answers to what happens in our government. In other words, we think we need power as a means to accomplish who Jesus is and what he does. That we somehow think that the means matters more than how it happens. In other words, it doesn't matter how God moves or what he moves or what he does as long as we get where we want. We need the power to do it. That, that's the way we've been living. And even people will use biblical examples. They'll bring up a king or a monarch that was helpful to Israel. Therefore, it doesn't matter how this goes. That's how God wants to move. And this is what I want to show you just as a simple window into Jesus and how Jesus viewed and lived with power. So the, the scenario I want to show you, this is uh, just one chapter later in John 18. Jesus is now going before Pilate. The Jewish leaders have taken him in, and they want to kill him, and they take him to the Roman leaders to help accomplish it. So even the way power is going here is these Jewish leaders have power, but it's under Roman rule, so they bring Jesus to the Roman rule, utilizing the power of Rome to basically say, this dude is going to cause troubles, take him out. And the way they do it is saying, do you claim to be a king? That's how it starts. So this is how Jesus responds, and this goes to what I mean about power. It will give you a window into this. When Pilate asks him about his kingdom, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. 
but now my kingdom is from another place. Now, if you've been around the church, you might have even heard this before, but I want to be really clear. What Jesus is not only saying that his kingdom is different and his power is different, he's saying I don't operate the same way. If I operated like you did, if I used the means you use, I would send my servants to fight and prevent it. In other words, I would utilize the might and power, and he even says later I could call down angels to do this. So what I want to be really clear on is we are so busy trying to tell people we're right, whether we're red or blue, and what I'm telling you is a kingdom doesn't move that way. Like, I want to be clear. I'm not telling you you can't have a political view. I'm not even telling you you shouldn't have one or you wouldn't espouse to it. What I'm telling you is do not mix that with who Jesus is or the kingdom. It's not the same, and it's not how he moves. And if you wonder if you're that way, this is what's been most troubling to me and why I want to throw the flag is I've watched a weird undying loyalty to our movements and leaders in ways that we don't even have to the church, let alone to Jesus. So let me give you an example. And it won't matter which, which political leader you align with because I've watched it in both camps. Let's pretend that you're the, the leader of the opposition is in office. And what I often hear from Christians are, oh, that is evil. We need to get them out. And we want to portray how bad that person is and we regularly report it and we say that's prophetic. Then when our leader comes in and other people start to do the same thing, we say, hey, it says that we're to submit to our leaders. They're chosen of God. You get the hypocrisy, right? Okay, so, so this is the simple thing. If you want to know if power is a problem or an idol for you, if you feel you have to undyingly prevent, protect, and defend that leader, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble when we think we must fight for Jesus doesn't even ask us to do that. And as Christians, we want to hear, we're so busy protecting, we never bother to actually listen to critique or receive things that might be problematic. I want to throw the flag on the power that we think is there. And let me give you one picture that's probably been the most helpful to me out of just my experience in life. And it goes back to the years um, when I spent some time in seminary, there was a significant assault on the authority of Scripture, which those continue at different times. People question whether it's really of God, what does that mean, all sorts of kind of detailed questions. Karl Barth, who was a Jewish uh, theologian and really a, a great mind in the church when he was walking the earth uh, and a leading theologian, he was, he was an influence in the seminars at, and we read a lot of his work, and it was a really simple thing he said about the authority of Scripture. He said, don't worry, God will prove the authority of Scripture. In other words, I don't have to fight with everybody to try and prove it. It doesn't mean I don't have a good reason or a good thought. It means it's not my job to make everybody think it, that Scripture does it on its own. And let me tell you, it's the same way with the kingdom. You know what? People are telling us we're at the most significant time. Oh, no, the world's going to fall apart. Oh, no, depending on what, who's in office and what happens. That is just not true. It's not. We're, we're one place in a whole world. Did you know, did you know America's not even in the Bible? I know that's going to shock you. You think we're the center of it. We're not. And the whole idea that we're this very unique, it doesn't mean there's not wonderful things to be patriotic over, even love. We are not the new Israel. And we do not have to worry, even if for some reason you thought it, we do not have to worry that we need to fix it for everybody and do it by power and demand. I'm throwing the flag. I'm throwing the flag that it's not that simple and it's not the way we should be living. Now, let me give you the, the second one which is about division. And, and let me just 
say it this way because I've noticed that we all are beginning to live this way, that this is the way I, I've seen division is if, if I'm on one side, I have a hero and there is nothing they can do wrong. And if anyone assaults them, I'll assault them and I will vilify whoever's in the opposition. In other words, we're gonna make it you're this or that, you're this or that. And by the way, heroes and villains, heroes and villains. Now we understand what that does is that divides us, right? Like that's where division grows. And Paul writes about division many times, but this is one in particular to the church in Rome. And I want you just to hear how he identifies it, and then I want to pose a few things to you about this flag of division. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep far away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Now, I'm not wanting you to now look and go, you know other Christians you're going to point to. That's not what I mean by this. I want to be specific to the fact that you and I are getting messages all through our life that are to divide us. And it's very interesting, in, in case you don't know, everything from social media to our polarizing news outlets to different ways that people elevate themselves, what, you know what they know? They know that the more angering it is, the more you're likely to keep watching. In other words, it serves a purpose for their own appetites. Everybody, and here's what everybody says, oh, no, that's not mine. I listen to the true stuff, and everybody else is polarized. You're like, it's just not true. And so I have a really simple challenge for you in this. As I'm calling out division and the way we are becoming more divided by what we're listening to and looking at and reading, we're about to enter 21 days of prayer, and I'll get to that at the end here about how I'm going to ask you to engage. But I also want to give you a challenge of what not to do over the next 21 days. So this is a simple thing, over a 21-day challenge. This is what I want you to do. I want you to really limit your news input. Go ahead. I know you got to know what the weather is. you got to know bigger things. But I want you to turn off your news channels, turn off your political shows, your articles, and your internet sites. I, and here's, here's my belief. You stop feeding the wrong thing, and that alone will be a help to you. you know, I, I've had multiple people say this to me inside and outside the church. It used to be people came to church every week and regularly engaged in their life of faith and even other times. And I'm not here to blast all of that. That's its own issue. But now what we're competing with to disciple you is all the inputs you get from everywhere else. And right now, this is the one that's polarizing most of you. I'm like, what would it be just to shut it down? All right, that's my referee part of this. I don't want to keep going on being a ref, but I, I do want to say to you, there's a bit of confession and a bit of, of hope in this in that, you know, it's been hard and it will continue to be. I mean, you're always dancing, like how far do I go with this issue? How much do I call out? So I'm not looking to be pulling out the flag every week in every way. But I do want to say, help me to, and pray for me that I'll have courage. Because if my thing is, this is what's so funny about our culture, it's about what you want and vote, that's what gets happening. So if it's not done, you know, if not done your way, it doesn't happen, and that's not the church. The church is supposed to follow Jesus. I get, we're not communists, we're also not a representative government. We follow a king, and our king we serve and follow him. And so there'll be things we need to continue to call out in love with each other. Now, let me take you from there to this piece I wanted to have of kind of building the foundation over these three weeks as we're going to look at issues and three ways to look at them that I think will be helpful 
it'll give you kind of an advance of where we're going and how we're going to go as we face each issue. And so I want to say this going into it. Jesus is interceding for us all the time. I, I don't know if I made that clear earlier, but Jesus, when he goes to be with the Father after he rises, it says he sits at the right hand and he intercedes for us day and night. Meaning what Jesus does as the Son is he sits next to the Father and he's calling out for what he wants for us. And what did we just learn he wants for us? He's praying that we'll be one, that the way the Father loves him will be in us, that we would love Jesus like the Father does, and it will cause us to live and love differently. So here's the great part. For whatever I've got wrong, for whatever's confusing, for whatever you think or don't think about all this stuff, Jesus is for us and he's with us. And he's praying for us that we'll become who he made us to be. And I'm confident that can happen because he's praying for it. So maybe even over the 21 days, you're just going to join us in praying for that with us. Now, with these issues that we're going to face, I want you to look at three ways that we're going to look at them that will hopefully be helpful for us. And I'll do it with each issue over each week so you'll see what I mean, but I wanted to preface it. The first is, what's the actual issue? And what is Jesus' kingdom like? So the reason I'm, I'm putting that in is, oftentimes when we get to fighting and arguing, we take one part of an issue and not all of it, or we take multiple issues and we put them together. You know, so we're going to look at issues of life and the value of life, and that will matter. But I found people will take issues like that, and then they're going to throw in other things like how we view guns. I'm not even saying what you should do either way, but did you know how you view guns is not a Christian issue? Like, Jesus didn't set us up to go, we better fight for this or fight against this. Those are very unique things that aren't biblical. And, and all this stuff gets thrown together. We're interested in what's the biblical issue and what's not, because that will help us even address these things. Make sense? That's the issue part. The second thing is in what we do with it. In other words, how does Jesus bring his kingdom? Now, we learned from what we just saw earlier that he brings his kingdom differently. So one of the ways that will help us, and we're going to ask is, let's pretend we don't have any power, and how would God move then? Because we're so busy trying to fight for rules that will give us what we want instead of living in a way that brings about what he wants. So we're gonna ask what's it look like, and I'll give you an example before we're done. And then finally, this is the most concerning, is how we treat people. How does Jesus' love play out even in sharp differences? I mean, I, in all of my life, I've never seen so much hate from people I love, even towards each other. I've never felt it well up in my own heart at times that I'm ashamed of through it. How we treat each other matters. We'll always act like it's what the end we get to, and what matters is how we get to the end and how we love to the end. Jesus gave two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the person he defines as your neighbor are usually people you don't like. How God is causing us and inviting us to love people differently and how we treat them, I guarantee you it's more reflection of who I am than who they are and more reflective of who you are than who your person is you're looking at. And yet we do the opposite. We vilify and basically find ways to say they're bad and I'm good. And it's just not how Jesus made us to be. I want to give you a simple picture of this just to illustrate it and then kind of give us direction for where we're going. So this uh, is Ephesus. This is the ancient artifacts of Ephesus. I was here in 2017 on a study trip. I got to go all through Turkey for this trip. A really great experience. And this moment in this particular place was one of the most significant in my whole trip. 
So this is the Agora in Ephesus. And in case you don't know what the Agora is, it's the marketplace. It's where everybody comes together to buy and sell goods. It's where every transaction happens in Ephesus. And by the way, this is a crossroads of the world. Ephesus is one of the largest cities in the ancient world. Major things going on. So we're in the Agora, and our guide begins to tell us about the history in Ephesus. And some of the things I knew, but it hit me very differently. And there were some new things to learn. So in the ancient world, in Rome, in Greco-Roman culture, when people had children, if they didn't want them, whether more likely because they were a girl, but even maybe they had more than they wanted, the way they freed themselves of that was to take them to the Agora in the middle of the night and leave them there. And what would happen is because it was a marketplace, and by the way, slavery was common, and selling and buying, people that were merchants would pick up the kids and either sell them then or keep them long enough to raise them enough to then sell them. It was basically how they were trafficked. Now here's how the church responded. They went to the Agora in the middle of the night and they started picking up kids. And they took them home and they took them in their families and they raised them and they loved them and they changed the trajectory of lives again and again and again. No power, no hatred, no demand. They still loved and lived with these people, but they changed the world by how they lived differently and brought the kingdom differently. What if you and I start looking at these issues that way instead of this way of fighting for what we're gonna get in power to do and say? That's what we wanna do over these three weeks is just ask the question. What might it look like for us to walk into these things instead of demand other things outside of them? You know, I've been praying for you, praying for this. I have no illusion that I'm not going to convince you of anything. You know, I just got to tell you, of all the things I've ever talked to people about, this has been one of the hardest to watch closeness. At the same time, we have been praying, and I continue to pray that if it's from God, that things will fall off that need to for all of us. And whether I'm right or not, I'm right about this. Jesus is for us, all of us together. And he wants us to be unified. And I think I'm right about this too. We need him. We need him now. We need him right now. Because let's be honest, we're a mess of dis divisiveness and disagreement. And don't we need him now more than ever to change that in us? And the best way I know to help us with that is to move us towards him and set down the things apart from him. So we're entering 21 days tomorrow, and I'd like it to be a different marker in the ground for us this year. We, we didn't put together this year plans for you like we're going to guide you through something like we have online or even a lot of times together, but we did put a guide together for you. And I want to just explain it to you and explain our intentions as 21 days start tomorrow. So we have these in the lobby, but we also have it online at allshores.org slash 21. And all it simply is during these 21 days is a place that we're encouraging you. We've, we've written really short and simple ways to read scripture each day and have very specific readings. They're short, but we're gonna have you sit in them for a little while. We guide you in how you might begin your day and then do these readings five days a week. And then Saturday, we give you a unique challenge, something fun to do on your own, and Sunday's a different time to challenge over your weekend so they're different than the other five. And we're going, we'd love for you to engage in these over these 21 days. You shut off all the other input and you start shutting this in, opening this up. 
and we think God will change in us doing this. And then I want to give you an added help, which is Tuesday night this week, we're going to have our core night, and we're literally going to walk through these things we're doing for 21 days. There are really four practices. It's always reading scripture, but it's how to be silent before God, how to pray, and how to even worship, and we want to help you. And so I'd go, come at 6.30 on Tuesday and join us for that. I want to say it again through all that we're going to talk about. Jesus is for us, all of us, together. And you and I, we need him right now. We need him. And I'm going to say it again, and I really want to hear an amen, because we need him right now. We need him. Yeah. I am more than happy to be a sheep. I am boldly a sheep that's not smart enough to know what to do. And I boldly say, oh, man, with the shepherd, would you help me? Let me pray for us. Lord, I prayed at the beginning that I would not bring confusion. And I prayed that you would bring clarity and you would break strongholds in us. I am just, I'm praying for tender hearts. I pray you might even bring to mind if there are ways we've been harsh and hostile and hateful to others, that we would actually ask for forgiveness. In places things are broken that we would seek to restore them. In places we have been fearful and worried about how the future's going, we would trust you in new ways. I pray for those among us who are not following you or just searching. Just forgive us for the ways we made it harder by how we've lived, but may they hear you inviting them and inviting us to move towards you and depend on you. And uh, I pray a grace over each person as they enter into these 21 days, whether they even commit to doing anything or not. I pray you'd do something sacred in them. I pray you'd even maybe give them space they didn't expect. That they would hear your whisper saying, turn that off and listen to me. Lord, we say we cannot become one without you. And we need the love of the Father for Jesus in us. Give us that and lead us to a new change and a new way of living. I pray this in your name. Amen.